Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello, everybody, and welcome to your latest episode of Red Men Weekly. A week like no other when it comes to Liverpool Football Club. Of course, it was last Friday morning when we discovered the the shocking, the heartbreaking news that Jurgen Klopp would be stepping down as Liverpool manager. So all of our plans, all of our content went up in the air, I think it's fair to say. We had to obviously rush and panic and get things sorted, but we did it, we managed it. And our content this week, of course, has been mainly centred on the fact that the great man will be leaving the Reds at the end of the campaign, hopefully with one, two, three or four pieces of silverware safely secured by then. But yeah, we kick off this week with a clip from our Biased podcast when Keo joined Chloe, Chris and Paul to discuss some other matters around the Premier League. Hey everyone, Biased Football podcast time. And yeah, I mean, obviously... All the football happened, um, so we will talk about that because this is what this show is. Um, but because of obviously all the, the stuff that's happened around them, but we haven't really had a chance to discuss like the FA Cup draw for the Reds and a few other bits and pieces. Um, so yeah, this will be probably a slightly more Liverpool centric episode of this. But um, I mean, we all that's what we're all here for, really. Anyway, so let's let's kind of dive in uh, first and foremost. Um, obviously, if you've been watching the main podcast this week, you'll know who's with me. But I have got Chris Page, I've got Chloe Bloxham, and I've got Keo with me as well. We're going to start with Afcon, Chris. Um, amidst all of the stuff that's been going on in and around Liverpool, obviously a week ago, the biggest news story around Liverpool was Mohamed Salah injured, allowed to leave Afcon, caused an absolute shitstorm of journalists. Quite Question his integrity. His agent had to come out and and and, and quash the agent. Quash any? Sometimes um, he had to come out. We had Klopp had to come out and speak about it. Um, anyway, Egypt got knocked out by Congo on penalties. Um, so that's done. So um, when Salah's fit, he can play for us. Whenever that may be. Yes, thank you. Great. They they were shit anyway, and yes. they were never going to win it, and they were never going to get to the final without him. And I don't think they were going to get to the final with him. If I'm being perfectly honest. I'd rather him have not got injured and just come home, but we are where we are. Yeah, yeah. If if if, if it wasn't a choice, sadly, if it was, that's what, absolutely what we would have chosen. Uh, what we would have chosen to happen, um, and it got me thinking that I've just not thought about any of this. And you know why? Because Liverpool have been good. Um, Keo, so we haven't had to concern ourselves with like what's happening in Afcon and what's been happening with the Asia Cup. Because does anyone know how Japan are getting on? Not really. Probably winning. Um, they are. I think they were. They, it says here they they topped. They came second in Group D, but then there's another. I th- what I've discovered since, which I didn't know, there's a second round group. Oh, which like the early are, days Champions League. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they which are, they are top yeah. of they are top of that group, the second group, which I can't get on Google here because it's stupid. Um, but I discovered that accidentally earlier on today. I believe that. I mean, the, the larger point I'm driving it, which proves it, is I don't really give a shit, and it's fine. Um, but I'm still reacting to the fact that the Asia Cups in the Middle East. To be honest, there, Paul. Never mind. They've got fucking two group <laughs> stages. <laughs> What's that about? <laughs> yeah, <right>. Why <laughs> is it in Qatar? Uh, yeah. Well, the same reason why the Qatar world- have every major competition. It's fucking bad though, isn't it? Like, you know yeah. what I mean? Mm. Yeah, well, yeah, the same reason why we, we all European football got shut down for two months um, last season for the World Cup. To, to, to I can go. understand that. They're on the world. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? They're not in Asia, are they? Yeah. 
Anyway, uh, yeah, so it doesn't look like Wataro Endo's going to be coming home anytime soon, but that is that is what it is. The sound. Yeah, one of the favourites as well, Japan, to be fair. Yeah, they? yeah, they, they are. Um, right, let's move on to the FA Cup. Anyone watch any FA Cup football beyond us this weekend? Just the Ev. Just the Ev. I, I hadn't even paid attention to this, Chloe. Talk to us about the Ev. Oh, actually, I also watch Spurs City, and let me tell you, uh, going back and watching football after the devastating news about Jurgen Klopp, I could not have cared. I was so excited that Thursday night when I went, got some Friday night football to watch tomorrow. It's Spurs v City. Yeah, bit of that, please. And then at approximately 11am when I realised, oh, there's a football game later, I, didn't, I, I turned it on and hardly took any notice. Didn't care who went through felt no emotions however the following day when I was feeling just a tad bit better about life um, the Ev played and I was like oh go on then I've got nothing else to do in my life I might as well stick it on the TV uh, very legally stick it on the TV <laughs> um, and very yeah very legally fire stick it on the TV no, yeah no, it, it was it was brilliant uh, in like the last kick of the game 90 sort of minute Luton uh, won with a very very scruffy goal and it was the best I'd felt in about 24 hours it was magnificent for a little second there the Ev made me forget that Jürgen Klopp was leaving Liverpool Football Club uh, and it just made my Saturday a little bit better it did oh yeah okay I'm sure I've, got the, I've got the score up here yeah I, I vaguely recall checking this at some point to see Michalenko had scored their own goal and they were losing and then that was that was as much interest as I paid I paid in that. Ninety six minute good good old good old Everton. Always do some points at stake there though in that game. It's shame was in the cup Yeah. But also the out of everything now. Can't win a trophy that, again. That, that, ah, so that's why the ninety five means thirty next year, is it? Oh Oof. Oh, that's why it made me feel great. No one likes turning thirty, but it's even worse <laughs> when it's an anniversary of not winning. Not. How long do you reckon they'll actually go if you had to put your money on it? Well, if they go down to the championship, I think they'll win that. Does that end at all? Yeah, I don't think they'll win it. I think they'll come up second. Like, they'll even get the playoffs yeah. and win the playoffs. <laughs> they is... definitely don't win the division. They just get all the That's a trophy. That is, it's not. Second. There's a, there's no. a stat, isn't it? Uh, so you say, say in the field. That's the most evident thing okay. that could happen if they got relegated is they have an absolute barnstormer of a season and don't finish either top or, in the, or win oh the playoffs. God, when you say how long they can go, I think there's a stat somewhere where out of the 92 clubs, they've had the least joy and like sort of... They haven't won nothing, they haven't been promoted, and they haven't been relegated. Whereas every other club has sort of had some sort of promotion or some sort of relegation over the course of the last hundred years. So Evan have just like sat still doing nothing. <laughs> Shocking mates, they are. But I reckon I reckon they could go fifty. If I had to, uh, over really? under on fifty. Over under on fifty. Thirty years is a long time, like, isn't it? When you get to 30 years, you must be starting to think, fuck what it, they, the law of averages must do something soon. What do they need, though? Because it's... Oh, fucking hell. No, 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 but this is the thing. It's like, so you look at Liverpool... It's, it's 2050. You know, it's come up a lot of my memories of late, and it's the 10-year anniversary of Istanbul. We've just been spanked by Stoke. Brendan Rodgers should get sacked, but doesn't. And Gerrard's leaving the club, and you're looking around going... Where where's a trophy coming for us? You know, when when's the next time Liverpool are going to be anywhere near competitive? And that was only a year on from finishing second in the league, yeah. and you feel like you're a million miles away from it. And then a year later, you get to two finals. And actually, lose. <laughs> we lost, lost both of them. But all of a sudden, you know, a, a new manager comes in, and you feel like it's 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 possible to win silverware. All of a sudden, <laughs> Everton have literally had. Carlo Ancelotti as their manager and got no closer to silverware. They've had like the Dutch manager the manager, you know, they've they've signed players, they've sold players, they've had millions of pounds to spend at one point. They've had at various stages lots of other things that have been enough to make clubs competitive and win silverware. So what the fuck is the thing that makes Everton break the duck? <laughs> it's some question I know exactly what you're saying now to be fair because in terms of what they need I do need three sides of A4 paper to, 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 tell, to tell you exactly what they need but I know what you're saying now because you say get me a manager that, that, can, that can win trophy you've had that like spend some money you've done that like build a ground done that yeah. <laughs> the, ground, the ground is the only other thing isn't it you know how 
I mean, it'll be, it has to be a ground plus because, you know, a football ground's a football ground. You've actually got to have players play and win football matches in it. But Can't put the ground up front. Well, no, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We all look at our boss, our boss new seats. You know what I mean? Like that'll, that'll, bang, that'll bang 20 in a season. Um, but look at West Ham, Chris. You know, they've gone from that thing of looking like an absolute shit show in that stadium. And now, okay, they don't like Moise or how he plays football, but they've got a European trophy in the cabinet. And they've got some good footballers, and they win. They win more football matches now than they they lose. That could be. It could be. It, it could just be like you know, like that self fulfilling prophecy of they're just down and doom and gloom, and they feel little and small. Actually, was somehow giving them this new stadium. You know, like fake it to well, make the, it. The stadium does help them because obviously the more money they've got coming in, and they will have more money coming in because of a, a more stadium and more corporates and all that. Like that will help them to spend more on players the problem that they've got I think is that if they do something similar to West Ham or what they did with Moyes years ago which is sort of get to that fourth fifth sixth position in the league that's not good enough anymore because the six those top six are almost filled all every year There's, so the timing of when they've been at their worst over the last couple of years has probably set them back another few years yeah. Yeah. just because of that because now Aston Villa look like they might be around for a couple of years Brighton look like they've put the foundations in place Manchester United will eventually get back into the top four if they don't do it already this season Tottenham look like they're starting something Arsenal have got something Chelsea will probably get it right at best they're looking at eighth or ninth and at that point, Conference League might be their only win. But Phil is a good example, though, isn't it? You know, they, they were going absolutely nowhere. They've been recently relegated as well. And, and they were nearly getting relegated by Gerard. Yeah, and, and and just get actually, you know, okay, they bought they bought some good players, but buying some good players and getting a good manager. So That's what they can't do, though. <laughs> Shows how fast they can turn, though. As you say, Villa have been relegated and we're, we're heading for. Real trouble with Gerard, and how long has it been? Twelve months, eighteen months. Yeah, about eighteen months. Eighteen probably, months. Yeah. Now we're talking about Villa as like one of the better sides in the league, and on for Europe. And I'm talking about pinching the manager, and oh, like, like that's just eighteen months. How can you do thirty years of it? <laughs> yeah, the reason that yeah. I was I was possibly more happy than usual on Saturday was because. For like twenty four hours, the just being Everton fans who were absolutely yeah. made up, like well and truly buzzing uh, I, a lot of my mates are Evertonians they don't care about football but they're Evertonians and they were messaging even me worse. even worse when yeah. someone pays, like pays enough thing. attention to be able to know what the top stories are but they doesn't care passionately about the outcome they don't they just need that Jürgen Klopp that was just the if it was anything about Everton I don't think they'd say but Jürgen Klopp being a big thing was massive to them um, and like they don't care about football they were messaging me about it and was like are you alright here um, so it just made it feel a lot better when they possibly had their high of the season with Jürgen Klopp announcing and his leaving dub uh, for Liverpool and then not even 24 hours later they were losing last minute winners to Luton and knocked out of every competition and no silverware for another season um, but yeah I don't know I, you know what I will and say another is another potential point deduction coming and another potential point deduction coming yeah um but the, the the thing about them is if they can sort of do what Spurs have done because Spurs' stadium isn't just a football stadium it's absolutely everything uh, and Bramley Moore will it, it looks the part it looks boss I, I mean I can't deny that so if they can turn more revenue outside of football then you know that that will really help them out as well but obviously all of these pieces of the puzzle have to fit together they just need an they need an identity Someone and they need people from from a boardroom down to up up to and including manager who know how to make that happen. You know, like you need someone who knows how to. You know, they need better data. They need better recruitment specialists. They need and they need a manager who can enact that because they're an absolute. They, they just they're raised on the stories of this school of science fucking stuff where they, they were they were a decent side for a few years in the 80s playing quite a good brand of footy so they've got those like mythical stories about this is what Everton can be but actually in reality now it's been so far gone that most of the dads and even granddads of the of the Evertonian kids now were raised on Dogs, dogs of War. Boy, I was going to say. So, that. like, the 90s, Joe Royal, Joe Royal fight, and we'll fight till we die, and then, like, Thomas Gravison in the 2000s, patting people on the back when they're taking throw-ins and all that shit. Um, 
that's what the actual reality is. So that's what they kind of like because they like Duncan Ferguson and they like people who punch people and headbutt people and bite people. You know, they love Suarez, obviously. But the... They don't. They don't know what they are. They don't know what they want to be, and they and they laugh at things like cop eye behaviour. So they, you know, we had Baz from Toffee TV calling Klopp the uh, German Martin O'Neill when we got him because he just saw him as a guy. He, he was. He thought it was embarrassing. But this is the point, isn't it? They, 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 this is the point. They've all been saying for years that he's fucking shit. He's just fucking uh, a cheerleader. Blah blah blah. You can tell how happy they were or what they really thought of him. Because yeah. they know that it's going to be difficult for Liverpool to replace him. Yeah. And just their joy of that means that he was brilliant and they've been lying to themselves for the last nine years or well, whatever. Duncan Ferguson put on fucking Howard Kendall's watch and someone sweat else's bands. sweatbands, <laughs> Colin Harvey's sweatbands and, and like, I don't know, Mike Walker's fucking undies and fucking went out there and fucking oh, around the <laughs> drew a few games and they were like pigs and shit with it. Like, yeah, all these weights left boots on for... Oh my God, yeah, 100%. I, I, I think with Everton that the problem here is and what, how you fix it, it's pure finances. They need ownership, in my opinion. That's got it. It's got to be a fresh slate because you can talk about managers and directors of football and ways of playing but I think it all depends how big this hole is now because it wasn't just you know a few million over financial fair play they wrote off 250 million before that and that was the last one now you've got this one and they don't seem to be making loads of money right now he didn't do that well now do these so what does next year look like well it depends how big that hole is it's just fucking mad again the toffee lads talk about it all the time they signed a, a deal with I think it was Kitbag as the exclusive distributors that. of their kits so you couldn't buy an Everton kit in like Sports Direct because they didn't have the rights to sell Everton kits so you could go into a Sports Direct in Liverpool and buy an Arsenal shirt or a United shirt or a Dortmund or Barcelona and there's Liverpool gear for days but you you couldn't get an Everton kit in there and I think it's slightly changed now but that's only, they're only just starting to come out of that and that goes back to like this is what Liverpool were stores and everything yeah, yeah. this is what Liverpool were a bit like in 2005 where like the club shop was shut the day after Istanbul because they give all the staff the day off you know and like they don't make mistakes like that anymore because they realise that the money you need the money to, to be a club that wins things but they're so yeah so far down the line it's absolutely insane also like you pointed out uh, on the last podcast uh, they fought to not get the point deduction or the consequences till this season didn't they and they knew that there could have been a potential second round of consequences uh, so, the, fan, the fans could have no the club did no didn't they yeah the, the club, club did know exactly fought, the, the Premier League asked to speed it through last season and Everton said no basically because they would go down because they would go uh, down and and now so they're in a hole recover. again, yeah. yeah. So, but that that they were going to be in a hole last season, but now that they're in even but, worse situations. Anyway, I mean, what would we do if Everton weren't there to just help us feel better about ourselves? Is the big question. Now, I've often said that. I joking aside, I I because they're at least in this city, and I like I prefer this city to all other cities. That I would rather Everton be the second best football club in the country than. United or City or Spurs or Chelsea or whatever because fuck them why should they get Champions League money and all that kind of stuff that goes with it but um, ultimately now that I know why I saw so many 1995 beams because it is the quickest way to shut down any banter and all the it's all the lads who had all their Real Madrid gear on for the Champions League finals Um, they're the people who deserve this my um, neighbours across the road had Spurs flags hanging out of their their um house Where would you when we played them. Where would you get a spare? Direct. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But after taking a punt there, you know what I mean? You've really got to root around in Sports Direct to find a Spurs flag. But Jesus Christ. The, the thing is, is that like I don't think there's anyone like there's I just there's no one in English football where Everton had faced them in in all levels. World um world football, yeah. I would not be hanging flags of other teams out me out me windows. But it's such a, but it's a very like you see when you play teams in Europe like. and it's because in like in Italy, if you show a Lazio shirt to a to a set of Roma fans, it's like throwing a firework in in, oh. in amongst them. But I always find it funny when Fan bases like that, they go to town and they buy an Everton shirt, and they hold it up and we're like, "You dickhead, you spent fifty quid on that." Offensive. <laughs> it is in Italy. It's big though, isn't it? I mean, I know some of them, yeah. some of Inter Milan's lads, and they came over um, to go to a game years ago, League Cup game, and they seen a kid in Everton gear, and he's like, "Why are you wearing that today?" Like, that's disrespectful. Like in Milan, 
if into the plane you won't go and play out in the street or wear any your AC colours and vice versa oh really it goes yeah, that yeah, yeah, yeah. colour thing yeah 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 wild absolutely wild that's cool either way it's actually quite a nice segue in a weird way to something not so nice but I want to talk about the crowd trouble at West Brom Wolves um, fucking hell what I mean like what decade is it anyone I mean I know it's the Midlands how did um, it start? Did it start just because there was Wolves well, fans yeah, in the West Brom then? This is, I've seen it. I've seen a few bits, but the general consensus is that there were Wolves fans in with the in with the West Brom fans, and that kicked it off. But that's fine in inverted commas to say fine to kick it off because you're asking for trouble if you're going to do that. But what I found most bizarre, it, it like sums up all like like all the gammons on Twitter and all the people who get enraged around like and, and are, are so pissed off with like equality and wokeness and all that kind of stuff. The amount of lads who saw there was a fight going on and left another stand. Yeah. To like, what are you going to stand do? behind the police? What are you doing? Why, 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 what, what makes you think I'm going to get? I, I'm on another. I'm in another stand. Another. I'm going to. Not only leave my stand, but go across the pitch. What are you like, you know, to go and have a bit? Like, it's a mentality I'll never, I'll never understand. When people nostalgize like the eighties and the, you know the the fucking firms and all the fucking violence of it, and you know, it doesn't sound like my kind of fun. If I'm being honest, you know, I'm not a big fan of getting punched in the face. It doesn't sound like something I would choose to do. Um, but it's twenty twenty fucking four. It's the FA Cup. Like it's not like West Brom are some mad little backwater. This is a side that have been in the Premier League a lot in the last twenty years. Fuck me. I'm sorry. It just reminds me. I don't know what it was about or if it was the same game, but I I didn't see all the kickoff. I just heard about it. I went on Twitter. <laughs> Someone put a tweet on saying someone's ma thinks that Adele's a rap. And it was someone's mum in the middle of the pitch. I'm pretty sure it was this game. And she tries to Megs a football player and gets exposed. <laughs> 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 it must be that. I don't know what else game it was, but it was this weekend and it was perfect. But just fucking guys with. But Baldy fellow with blood pushing out of his head. Yeah, he was short today, wasn't he? Was he a West Brom fan or the Wolves fan? I don't know, but he was. He was. St- the thing is, like your whole head's red. Yeah. And he's still having a go. Having a go. He's getting carried, he's getting taken away for medical treatment and 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 being arrested presumably, <laughs> and he's still like. Oh, he kind of reminded me a bit of the guy in the square in Basel. Who just kept fucking That's spinning around? Drunk, we we in Basel? Yeah, it was in, in Basel. In, in, in the square, and he was just spinning around on broken glass, and he was just covered in blood and all that type of stuff. And I was a bit like, "Why? Wow, what are you doing there? Like, just carrying on with your life." You were about ten cans away from being that guy. So. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like if in the spirit of the moment, thing. For example, if someone, if United fans jumped up next to you, and then. Someone said, "Hey," and then it's got a bit of a, and then somebody in the heat of the moment has done something stupid with a rival. Yeah, I get that. But man, I, imagine being halfway across that pit, <laughs> blowing because he's not fit enough to run that distance, and being like, "What am I going to do here when I get in?" Because <laughs> like, it's about ten seconds there. Like it's not like a split, and then he gets there, and then just gets nicked and banned for life. But that's like, all, yeah, be a bit more calculated about it if you're going to do it. Do you but, know what I mean? So, Wonderful stuff as ever on that show. And yeah, make sure you check out the Bias Football podcast. It is absolutely brilliant. It follows the Red Men Originals every single Monday. And next up, Steve Hall spoke to the brilliant Neil Jones for our wonderful Journal Insight show once again. And of course, the main topic of conversation was Jurgen's impending departure. And indeed, who could be the man to replace Jurgen Klopp? And who will be the person doing that appointment? Because obviously, as we know, we are also looking for a sporting director. And Steve spoke to Neil about that very topic. The two leading candidates as it stands, it looks like it's Abby Alonso and, and Azaria at Brighton. Um both it's a different world we're living in. I remember when obviously when, when Brendan Rogers left and the two main links were, were Jürgen Klopp and Carlo Ancelotti were the two that everyone was pretty much speaking about two guys with a massive track record of delivering the biggest trophies. Now Alonso might go on to do that, Azaria not so much I mean although there's a chance he can do well in Europe and obviously in the domestic cups. It again it is a little bit of a different world, you know, like you talk about like when he went and got Jürgen and, and, and his ability to and then to be, you know, he was he walked in and everyone knows he's a top manager and therefore signing players might be easier, for example. Again, what do you think of the Alonso and the Zerbi? It's a, it's a little bit like 
you're never going to get no one as good as Jürgen Klopp. The, the best you can hope for mm. is that they're the same. Um, but yeah, Liverpool are going down a little bit of a different route, it looks like, because there's no there's no candidates out there who, who can just go, here's the medals, who really suit. It's, it's your Zidane's and your Mourinho's. And it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't, that doesn't quite feel like the right fit, it looks like. Mm-hmm. Like all accounts, that's what Thomas Frank's name linked as well. It, it looks like it's like Liverpool are going a little bit like for maybe kind of like what, what City did with Arteta where you, you, now he hadn't had as much experience as the two I'm talking about but someone who hasn't done it yet but you think can come, go on to do it does, does that make sense? Yeah yeah I mean it's difficult because it's, Liverpool have not had to do it obviously in, in, in the sense of they've not had to do this really since, since Kenny left Um and that was a different. The world's different, you know, in football. And you got I mean, Liverpool would never take the Rangers manager now, you know, regardless of his. And we saw that with Steve Gerrard was there, regardless of his connections in the past. Liverpool went and took Graham Sooners after after that. But you can't do that now. It has to be. There's far more boxes that need taken really for, for for elite clubs in terms of you know your, your Champions League experience, transfer market experience, worldwide pull, media handling ability, and that kind of thing. What I would say about Alonso and Deserbi is I think there's a time and element of it. And I think it's pretty clear that those two are going to end up at a big club soon. And that's with the greatest respect of Bayer Leverkusen and Brighton. They're going to end up, they're going to get a chance at a big club. Because whether they take it or not, that's that's independent really. But they're going to get a chance. So from a Liverpool perspective, there is an element that this might be the only chance you ever get to get one of them as your manager. If you, if you think they're the right guy, this might be the only chance because they might end up at City and Real Madrid and be amazing and then you're never going to get them as your manager because they're there and they're, they're in the building aren't they um, now I understand why you, people would have reservations and I've had a lot of messages of people who have expressed reservations about both of those candidates because obviously yeah, Javi Alonso essentially this is his first full season as, as a manager and, and let's be let's be frank He's had a brilliant run, but it's only January and they're only two points ahead of Bayern Munich and they could easily finish 10 points behind them and, and go out in the Europa League last 16 and it's suddenly forgotten as being this incredible season and it becomes this kind of disappointment. So, to Zerbi, I, I, haven't, got, I haven't quite got the league table. I, I will have a look at it now, but Brighton are in the league table, what, eighth? Seventh. Seventh. 11 points outside the Champions League, eight points outside the Europa League doing well in the Europa League but that's okay that's, 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 that's great for Brighton but that's sort of okay you can you can pick holes in, in, the, in the argument and say they don't score many goals or they don't score enough goals or they don't uh, don't keep enough clean sheets you know whatever you want to do he rotates a bit too much he's a bit fiery on the touchline there's a lot of there's a lot of things that you could point at him I think the question for me would be are Liverpool, if Liverpool think that that one of those two is the is the right one, it's probably now that they're going to have to do it. You know, I don't think they could sort of say, do you know what, we'll let Deserbi wait another year at Brighton and see if he, see if he carries on, or we'll let Alonso wait because they're probably they're not going to be there for another year. They're probably going to move on somewhere else. So you might end up in a situation where, oh God, you know, Man City have got Alonso now, and we we missed our chance, or Man City got Deserbi, we missed our chance. So I think it might have to be. If you're going to go down that sort of route of the next, as I said, the young or the up and coming bright thing, um, it might have to be now. And, and on that, really, I was about to say, again, we're, we're guessing the people have done really well to keep their story under wraps. We, we all found out Friday. So, you know, it, 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 this is a bit hypo- hypothesizing, but like, do you think those two are the two that we're looking at, really? Because again, when, when Brendan Rodgers left, I think straight away, Every single report was it's going to be Ancelotti or Klopp. I think everyone pretty much had that nailed down. Before that, obviously there was a lot of talk. Obviously, Brendan's hired. There was a couple of other names, Martinez, exact, etc. Uh, would you think it is going to be one of those two? If you had to guess, because it's it's hard really to to think of anyone else, especially. And I, I want to get your thoughts on this in a minute as well. Like it's been announced that Pep's leaving Liverpool as well because there was a, an idea that there could have been a succession plan there. But yeah, do you think? Uh-huh. It is- Alonso or Deserbi or can you see another name that really no yeah I mean again I don't expect FSG to veer too far away from their sort of model so 
Klopp, in a little way, is a little bit of a, was a little bit of a deviation. Obviously, he was a bit older, a bit more established. Obviously, than, than, than Brendan Rodgers, who's who's their, their first sort of big appointment. I know they, I know they brought Dalglish in as a sort of a stopgap that became an eighteen-month appointment. But Rodgers was the one that they, they went towards, wasn't he? And you know, it was either him or, or Roberto Martinez at, at that point, and they were they were sort of in the, in that bracket as. We think they could potentially be elite managers, but you know they'd have to we'd have to go on a journey with them. But was it a, a change in policy? But the way that they've run the club since has always been about well, it's not about the sort of next six months. It's about you know putting value on for the for the longer term. I, I don't expect them to go down a, a, a you know a, a firefighter route to Mourinho, for example. I think that would just be. A bad, a bad call. I think Ancelotti, obviously, you know, I don't think, I don't think that's that's on the table. There are other managers out there, you know, that are in the betting, and you look at that. You, you mentioned a couple there. There are some in the Premier League that are doing really well. Obviously, you know, I am really, uh, you know, fourth in the table at the moment. You've got Postecoglou who's gone in at Tottenham and done done a particularly good job. You've got Deserbi. There are a few managers around big clubs at the moment who are. You could look and say, well, are they going to be there in a year's time? Pochettino, for example. Oh, let's not say Eric Ten Hag, but that might influence Liverpool's thinking in terms of, are United going to be looking for a manager at some point? So I think, I wouldn't say it's just out of those two. I think they're obvious candidates because of the job they're doing, because of the, the, the upside, the potential upside that they've got, and as I say, because of the time. And, but I think there are others there that, you know, you might you might see come to the to the fore. You know, Thomas Tuchel, for example, uh, Bayern Munich has been one. And I, you know, I know he's not particularly popular at Bayern Munich, and he he's had some you know disappointing moments in his career. But he, he's certainly a manager who's got a very good reputation across the world. Um, so I think those two are understandable front runners in the in the um, in the race. Both you would say would probably be quite obtainable as well. You know, if Liverpool to come. Um, but I wouldn't say that they were the only two candidates that would be being considered, um, nor should they be. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, it's interesting. I, I went back to check this with Wright, actually. Um, when Stephen Gerrard was hired as the Aston Villa manager, uh, I, I mean, I think me and you spoke a day or two later about it, and we both half suggested, well, he will be the next Liverpool manager. When you, it would be, yeah. be, he might be the next Liverpool manager when Jürgen Klopp leaves. Do you think now, given that Villa ended badly and that he's in Saudi, obviously we know he's just extended his contract. Do you think we can categorically rule that one out or do you think that one was cards because it's yeah. interesting because I get the sense Neil and this is mad to say because he's Steven Gerrard and he's like a legend obviously the legend if not one of um, of this football club it almost feels like to be a tinge of disappointment around the fan base if that happens like which is ironic because of who he is but it does feel given how it, it kind of went badly at Villa and then subsequently what and I Emery did with a very similar team that it feels like that could, I would have just presumed he was always going to be the next Liverpool manager, but now I'm getting the sense that might yeah. be Yeah, I mean, Jürgen said himself, didn't he? I think Jürgen said sort of categorically he will manage Liverpool one day. It looks a lot less likely than it did. I should say, what was that? Was that sort of November, I think, 2021? Um, yeah, it's hard to say because... Like you say, you know, not just the fact that it, it didn't end well at Villa for him. And I, I, I think he was a little bit unlucky at Villa in terms of the way it worked out. I think, you know, I, I don't think he was as bad as maybe history might or, or the, the rewrites might tell you as a Villa manager. You know, I think he, he did some good things. He had some poor luck with, with injuries and some results that went against him that shouldn't have done. But the way it ended, and obviously since then, what's happened with Emery and the, and the, the tune that he's managed to get out of Villa has not reflected well on, on obviously or not 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 painted Stephen in, in a good light. Of course going out of out of sight at Saudi um a little bit is you can look at two ways, you know, it's a step down or is it a sort of a, a smart move to sort of get himself back into the, the habit of managing out maybe away from the spotlight a little bit and not having that kind of you know that that negative pressure um in there. But it's hard to see that you could go from out um as a fact and come to, come to manage Liverpool having your previous two jobs been you know Rangers which great job he done and, and put them in a, you know, a very strong position they won the league they were in a very strong position the team that he built ended up getting to the, the final of the Europa League don't forget um, and then, and then a, a short lived and un, unhappy spell at Aston Villa I think it's very difficult to see that Steven Gerrard could be picked um, he was there would have to have been 
a lot of convincing done from whoever was, you know, in charge of the of the hiring process to say, no, no, we believe that he is the absolute right man. And don't forget from his point of view, you know, he, he must have watched what's happened to someone like Frank Lampard, for example. He must have watched what's happened to Wayne Rooney, you know, in different circumstances. That their, 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 their reputation at the top level is probably finished now in terms of, you know, Frank Lampard. I, I, it'd be a very big surprise if Frank Lampard ever managed to sort of anything like a top 10, 15 Premier League club given what's happened to Chelsea. You'd be very surprised if you saw Wayne Rooney managing one of the Everton or Manchester United in the future because of what, what's gone on. So, Steven Gerrard might know that a failure at Liverpool, a, you know, a dramatic failure could be a, you know, a nail in the coffin of the managerial career. Whereas if he was to go back and, and rebuild and go back to a, another Aston Villa type job, a, a Brighton, you know, a, a, a Southampton, a, a Leeds or whatever, there is the possibility then in, in, in five, six years that you can end up back at Liverpool when the Liverpool's in good health. But I think now would be, yeah, it'd be a big risk from the club's part, but I think it would be a big risk from Stephen's part as well. And then the second part I mentioned earlier is Pep Linders, who's leaving as well, because again, he was the other one. If it wasn't going to be Gerard, we all thought it was going to be Pep. He's been doing press conference. We'll have, is, he, is, he, is he getting used to getting used to doing them? And also, it turns out giving Jürgen a break because he told you he hates speaking to you as well when he, when he left the other day. But like, he would have been the other one, wouldn't he? It is amazing how quickly football changes because it looks like that isn't the case. It was announced, obviously, he wants to go and pursue a managerial career. Jürgen said again in his press conference, you know, he's he'd have his backing and he'd, he'd, be, he'd put a good word in for him anywhere. But it, it, does it look like he's not being considered then? Because he didn't even announce that he's leaving the club. Because it would be odd to say he's leaving the club and then, and then a few months later go, well, Pep Linders is now your yeah. new manager. That doesn't really equate. No, no I don't think Pep Linders was ever in the frame to be another club manager. I think that was always just a, an easy two and two. Um, look, Let's be fair. We're just dismissed Steven Gerrard's credentials. We're dismissing Thomas Tuchel's credentials. We're dismissing whoever else, Thomas Frank and Roberto Bezzevi and whoever. Evelyn's managerial credentials are very short. You know, of course, knowledge of the club is one thing, but he's been a system manager. He's been a training ground coach. He's not been, you know, um, the bigger head of, of the club, albeit, you know, he's been a big part of it. And let's not dismiss that. There's no way Liverpool are announcing that he's leaving the club and then saying, "Oh, by the way, we've we've done our we've done our due diligence process and we've decided that the winner is Pepland." You know, it, they would just have left him in place and and allowed him to step into the breach. So, yeah, I think Pep's again. He, he is one that maybe you know, if he goes away and gets a job somewhere and becomes that kind of you know, you look at someone like Arteta or um, people like that, who step up from being an assistant, go out and, be, and make themselves a first team coach. Uh, sorry, a head coach somewhere else. Maybe in five, six years, if he's had success, then he could come back into the into the fray. But I think at this moment in time, yeah, he needs to he needs to go and prove his managerial credentials. You know, he's proved his coaching credentials and his assistant manager's credentials quite comprehensively. He's been part of a glorious era at Liverpool. But yeah, I think he, he needs to he needs to tick a few more boxes before he's going to be considered for a job such as this one. And I don't think it would do him any favours either. Um, stepping in after after Jürgen, you know, obviously the similarities and the differences will be even more stark. Um, I, I, I pointed out, and, and every every sort of comparison would be made at that point. I think it would make more sense, given as well the fact that Peter Kravitz is leaving, obviously Peter Matthaus is leaving. Um, that is a bit of a clean a clean broom in terms of the coaching staff. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Yeah, brilliant again from Neil, as ever, every single week. Never misses Neil Jones. Absolutely incredible stuff from him. And next up, we move on. Speaking about incredible stuff, we move on to our final word show after Liverpool absolutely demolished Chelsea. Those games have been tight in recent years. This one was anything but. Liverpool far, far superior. The perfect dress rehearsal for the Carabao Cup final. And Paul spoke to a couple of lads about that this week. Alexis, Stad, um, wow, just wow. I mean, Endo really felt like he'd nailed that role down before heading off to the Asian well, Cup. Well, you know, given the criticism the guy had playing as a number six, now I don't think anyone would would say he wasn't our first choice number six. He, he, he's, I don't know what it is about him. He's, he, he sort of wins things he shouldn't win and he comes away with the he sort of scrabbles and suddenly is away and then making a great pass and on, you know on top of all the, the defensive stuff the passing is superb and that's the, that's the really interesting thing about McAllister because what he's not and, and Lohendo's not this either is if when it all breaks down and you're legging it back towards your goal he's not going to outpace someone sprinting with the ball and put a big slide in and come away with it that's not his game it's not Endo's game it's not many defensive midfielders games that are, that are therefore good enough to play for Liverpool but what you then see is he's tigerish he gets stuck in his anticipation is brilliant so we have to get to things ahead of time now which I don't think he was earlier on in the season when Endo was doing brilliantly in December but actually the amount of times then in addition to that we're in a little tricky situation and we play a quick little pass to him and first time he's knocking it 30 yards down the pitch into feet breaking the lines and putting us on the front foot and that's the difference between him and you know what we what we think of as a number six, Jamie. You know, everyone mm-hmm. wants this idea of like a Jao Pelinha or a you know some sort of defensive midfielder. Yeah, yeah, of course, like yeah. yeah, yeah. I I think watching uh, James McConnell the other day. He put in some crunching slide tackle, and I, they were bordering on. I was thinking, oh, if you're going to be doing this, if you're playing in the Premier League, you might be getting the odd red, or you know, in in the future or whatever. But people want that from. I think if I was picking a, if it was like the football version of Space Jam and we were playing the aliens, I'd pick a, you know, a Maturano in that role. I would, I wouldn't initially think to play a more passing style of six, but he was, there were a few 50-50s yesterday. I was thinking, oh, is he going to really crunch it? But he'd just do like a really nice block tackle no risk of getting a yellow or whatever. He'd still come away with the ball and then he'd look up and like lob it over to the left wing or anything. You can't really ask for much more than that. There was one beautiful reverse pass. He kind of had his back to goal and was left-footed and he first time round the corner to whoever it was, Nunez or Diaz. That's the thing that as good as Fabinho was at at his peak, he didn't have anything like that range of passing or that. He was more of a... He would start moves off rather than play the killer ball. So yeah, very very encouraging. And it goes back to that desire thing as well. Of like his, his anticipation is there, so he's snuffing out danger. Whereas they're trying to get out. He's then going into these block tackles, as we mentioned. So he's not committing himself by going to ground and doing the flat, the flashy stuff. But he's getting there, and you get a little touch on it. And then after that, it's pure desire because the ball breaks loose, and it's then who gets to it first. And he was then it's a centre of gravity it's a power thing it's a determination thing and he wanted that more than the guy he was tackling ultimately because you've seen that happen plenty of times where you can get that first tackle in that's alright but then to come away with the ball is the next part of the skill and I think that's actually almost where he's making yeah, the, yeah. the sixes on and, and let's not forget that he's sat watching Endo making a, a place for himself in yeah. that side and you know he's going to come in he's thinking you know if I can't hold down the number six then I'm fighting against another 
group of players to try and get a, a place somewhere else. Yeah, he's watching Sabozlai hit these absolute howitzer yeah. strikes. At, at the, he's watching then, Curtis Jones pick and up then, Lawrence you know, You've got Trent sort of creeping into that yeah. you know equation as well, and he's thinking to himself, you know, I've got to get up, I've got to stand up and show I can do this, and, and that's what he's doing. It's like that little injury break he had benefited him weirdly. Mm. You know, like he got to like go away and have a break and almost digest everything he's learned to date. And we, we do this, we forget this a lot because everyone's been saying all season, it took Fabinho half a season to learn how to, to play. It took Andy Robertson half a season. We get, you know, under Klopp, it takes a while to get used to how to, to perform. And yet almost at the same time, we were saying that here and then going, yeah, but I don't think McAllister's is up to speed. I don't think he's good enough to play in the six. And all of a sudden, we're into the second half of the season and lo and behold, Wataro Endo and Alexis McAllister are both looking really, really good in that yeah. position, having had time to digest the role. I'm just thinking like the uh, we, we're going for four trophies. Our wider squad, you like you've got Endo to come back, you got Mo Salah, you know, possibly our greatest modern player to come back. There's, I, I don't know how many people that if, if you include, I mean, I, do, do you, I don't know if you include McConnell or Bobby Clark, but he, like with Bradley there, Kwanzaa, there's barely a player where if you picked any of them, you go, oh, I'm not sure about him. Yeah. And that that's just testament to the management's maybe Simicast, like you you know, but, but then he, he, he played did a brilliant well job. He, exactly. Just he, to keep he it got him. better the more games yeah, he had. Just, that, that's one of the problems that we've overcome is is lads not getting games. They're all getting games of football. Just to keep it on the midfield thing, I thought it was most telling that in particular because you've got Enzo Fernandez and you've got Moises Casado in the midfield there. So Liverpool heavily linked with Fernandez and Chelsea blow everyone out the water by paying the, the release fee ridiculous sum of money and then of course we end up in that rather public rather protracted and at times portrayed as a bit embarrassing you know losing out on Caicedo to, to Chelsea I am um, you know Alex McAllister we bought for 35 million as an eight we bought Wataro Endo as a break glass we need someone to come in and do that you know so effectively for about 50 million quid we've we've got bought those two lads compared to the best part of 250 for what Chelsea were, were rocking there I'd have what we've got any day of the week over what they what they bought there, based but even just based solely on the performance from last night. Absolutely, uh, absolutely. I mean, Enzo, as I said in the first game of the season, everyone wanted him. They thought, well, this guy is absolutely brilliant, and you know, we we, we just haven't got that kind of class. I mean, I don't think Caicedo's done anything yet. I see he's still only a young. Let's you know, let's yeah. not forget. And but he's got the weight of 115 million on his shoulders as you know the best midfield player in the world. Kind of nonsense. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and he's never done anything yet. Um, which is not to say he won't. But I mean, Enzo was just outclassed. You know, McAllister stood out like a sore thumb. Yeah. You know, compared to him. I mean, our midfield were, were just awesome. And it, 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 I thought it was really funny because I've got so much Chelsea PTSD from over the, from the last, you know, sort of almost two decades of watching them with some of the best players in the world come up against us. And, you know, for the money they've paid. And, you know, you said at the top of the show, like that, you know, on paper, maybe similarities in, in quality or whatever. I actually disagree. You know, I think, it, but it was never more starkly contrasted, I think, Jamie, with how they performed because. Our lads just wanted more, and this was not. It was like five minutes in, and I was like, "Oh, every time it went into midfield, oh god, we're going to lose this here we're on the edge." That's not N'Golo Kante in that midfield. No. It's not Frank Lampard in that midfield. No. It's not even Kovacic. It's not Machaleli. It's not even Dennis Wise. You know, this is like yeah. this that, that Chelsea team. There's levels, and I hate it's a bit of an overused modern sort of expression, but there's there's a, there's a, there's 20 points between us in the league and it was so evident by the quality of the football like, particularly in the middle of the park yeah I mean th- there is quality there and you know Sterling you'd get it and you think oh this is maybe a little bit dangerous he's, he's obviously a very fine player but it was a bit similar to when Man U came a couple of years ago I don't know which one of the hammerings it was and then you look you look at like the team and you're like that's a Europa League team that and we're one of the best in your... And it was a bit similar last night. Like, you know, it's not the players' fault for the money that they spend, but, you know, if they live up to the potential, maybe they'll be great, the likes of Enzo and Caicedo. And they have got some good players, but they've got an agent, Thiago Silva. It's just, yeah, it's... the. 
the levels in comparison to some of those Mourinho sides where you just go through one to eleven, you're like quality, 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 quality. It's not, it, it's not the same. So we owed, we owed him a beating, and yes. we gave him one. I totally agree on that one. Um, yeah, people watching, just how much, how much joy did it fill you with to see? McAllister performing like that, particularly against someone like Moises Casado, obviously given the the summer, because yeah, I, I, I'd almost not even I'd almost forgotten about it because that's how little Casado has been talked about. So mm-hmm. yeah, it was it was it was lovely it to watch back because Klopp said something about it was a we were lucky not to sign him, you know, and everyone, I mean, he didn't mean it quite that way, but yeah. everyone went, uh, yeah. He said it in like the test event, didn't he, at the Anfield Roads, and uh, to, to all the people there, had a good, a good laugh at that, um, but yeah. Do you remember Romeo Lavia? Yep. Do you, mem- do you remember him, yeah? Totally forgotten he existed yeah. until I, I had a look at the list of players who were out injured last night, um, and I was, because I was, I, I had it in my head, obviously we know Salah was out and, um, and whatever, but the missing players last night, Thiago Alcantara, Stefan Bacetic, Ben Doak, Wataro Endo, Joel Matip, Mohamed Salah, and Kostas Simikas. And then I looked at their list, and it's like obviously Reese James would be would be in there, and Levi Colwell. But like, there's Romeo Lavia. Oh God, yeah. That was supposed to be fifty million. Like, I mean, he might end up. A, he might yeah, end up. Yeah, a good yeah, player, yeah, absolutely. But a lot of these Bowley signings are going to have to start pulling up some trees soon with the nine-year yep. contract. So, my my good friend Chris Page has a trait on eBay of when he knows he's going to lose in an auction, he inflates the, <laughs> the price to make the person who's going to win pay pay more for it. And that's the thing because he's a bad human being, basically. But he, um, but he, he it, it's. It's bit him on the arse once, I think, when he ended up paying like 100 quid over. Yeah, he got, he won by accident. That's what I feel like with the Caicedo thing. It's like Liverpool just went for it. So here's here's the most we'll pay, knowing full well that Chelsea would pay more. And then Chelsea went out and spent stupid, stupid money. If they end up getting done for PSR because we've basically forced them into spending stupid money on Caicedo, that would be beyond the Michael Edwards level of 4D chess. This would be something something else, something above and beyond. Yeah, wonderful once again. Yeah, absolutely incredible result. Connor Bradley was just exceptional, wasn't he? As was everybody else, but what a performance. Um, and finally this week, I myself spoke to Constantine Eckner about the topic of Jürgen Klopp's departure. And indeed, we got a bit more insight on the job at Xavier Alonso has been doing at Bayer Leverkusen as he attempts to dethrone Bayern Munich as Bundesliga champions. Let's move on to some of the candidates then because, as ever, Liverpool and Germany and the Bundesliga remain intertwined, it appears. Um, one of them, albeit the best man for the job, is probably the man who's leaving in May. Liverpool do need to start looking at the replacement, at the successor. The the standout name, really, and the name on everyone's lips, almost immediately after, once they'd allowed themselves to realise that Jürgen Klopp wouldn't be here forever, it went straight to Zabi Alonso. All eyes turned to Zabi Alonso. In the media, in the fan base, Etc. 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 He is the very much the people's pick. I think it's fair to say. I think it makes a lot of logical sense. There are some factors that don't make sense. Of course, there's an emotional connection already involved there with Liverpool Football Club. He is a fan in inverted commas, potentially not a boyhood one, but definitely one in his later life. And um, mm-hmm. you touched on this in the article as well. You said Alonso will potentially be allowed to leave Leverkusen. Um, he's got a contract there until 2026. There's this gentleman's agreement that I put in inverted commas for those only listening on audio. Yeah. What do you make of these instant links? Does it make sense to you? Of course, it makes sense. And I mean, uh, Javi Alonso has been linked to basically his three former clubs, Bayern, um, Real and, and Liverpool, ever since he like emerged and, and uh, people figured that, all right, he might be a talented oh, one yeah. uh, when he um, let Leverkusen out of the relegation zone um, in the later stages of 2022 and then, you know, uh, qualified for Europe and now playing in the Europa League and, and now leading the Bundesliga unbeaten so far. So, um, yeah, of course, I mean, then he was linked uh, to his former clubs. Or else that is the, the, the fourth one. He was there to coach the reserve team. I mean, he might even go back there at some point in his in his uh, career. Why not? Um, they, they are always ambitious and he's, he's of course, from, from Basque. So, um um, I I mean yeah, there's there's a big chance that that team might take over Liverpool um, in in 2023, 2024, uh, 2024, 2025. Sorry. Um, so next season, uh, I mean, Leverkusen officials were quite confident that he would stay for another year mm-hmm. uh, because he spent three years at, at Real Sociedad. 
uh, owning a Scraft. Now it's, it's it's a second year, not even a full second year at Leverkusen. They will definitely qualify for the Champions League. I mean, that's all, almost like uh, now confirmed uh, when you look at the point gap uh, to uh, Dortmund and RB Leipzig. Um, so, yeah, of course. I mean, he could stay there for another year. No one, I mean, it's, he's not too old. He's 42. He has all the time in the world um, to go elsewhere. But of course, now it's the opening at Liverpool. Um, Real Madrid, they have extended Angelotti's contract until until 2026. So two more years after this season. Um, I don't know. It might be a little bit long. Um, and you never know. I mean, Angelotti could be sacked, but I don't think they will do it unless there's, there's like a, a huge blowout. Um, and then there's Bayern Munich. Yes, I mean, there's a chance because Thomas Tuchel has had struggles. Uh, but the Liverpool job might be very intriguing because right now Liverpool are leading the, the Premier League and uh, are in, the great, in, in great shape in terms of the team itself. Um, interesting if if it happens. Just say yeah, it no. happens, right? Alonso goes to Liverpool. The, the interesting uh, factor or the interesting... The intriguing question will be, let's put it that way, that um, his, his current like tactical style he prefers is much more possession, basically much more dominant and like, we want to secure the ball, we don't want to give it away, much more focused on that than what Klopp usually does. Because I, I looked up the, the stats, I mean, uh, Liverpool recovered the most loose balls per 90 minutes of all Premier League teams. Manchester City, the, the, the least ones, right? Um, so it's interesting that there might be a bit of a deviation then from from what Liverpool fans have seen in the past uh, almost nine years. Um, yeah, so, yeah. Just just thinking about it, just just in case, right? I mean, uh, it gets the transition from Lever- Leverkusen to Bayern would be more effortless. Hmm. Um, it definitely it definitely feels like a shift tactically in terms yeah. of the brand of football, but I guess. It's still the attacking style of play. There are slight intrinsic changes within that, but it's still a front foot. We want to be the ones to dictate the way the game plays, sort of thing. So it's not a huge shift. But you're right, there will be changes. Whoever the next manager is, there'll be changes you would for. You're not going to get anyone to do what Jurgen Klopp's done. It's got to be a different way. And I actually quite like that because there's been some loose discussion here about Thomas Frank, obviously Danish. And he reminds me a lot of Jurgen Klopp. And mm-hmm. I really like Thomas Frank, but I don't want almost a Jurgen Klopp 2.0 because it isn't Jurgen Klopp, if, if that makes sense. I'd like to see us a little bit of a move from that. And Zabi Alonso would, of course, be that. I mean, wonderful footballer, very well decorated footballer, copes with pressure well. We've seen that on the pitch, clearly in his early managerial throws as well. In terms of who he's been managed by, been managed by Rafael Benitez, Jose Mourinho, Carlo Ancelotti. Like the pedigree is there. He's learned his craft, as you mentioned. He uses class as a person, not just a footballer. I mean, you touched on it there. Like in terms of his in terms of his playing style, in terms of his personality, and in terms of how he comes across in the media and all that type mm-hmm. of stuff, you've seen a lot of it. Is he ticking every single box along the way at the moment? I mean, the funny thing is, I actually uh, said it when when the BBC uh, did a big piece on him, uh, like a small video documentary or something. Uh, I, I talked about it. That uh, the funny thing about Xabi uh, Alonso is that uh, he looks almost the same uh, than when he was uh, like forty-two Anderson. years old. That is forty-two years old. That's that's why now he looks so youthful because. The offense, like when he was 32, he looked more like an like an almost retired footballer. Not not he was in great shape, but like the just the hair and how he behaved and everything. Right, he looked like an elder statesman, um, like like maybe Andrea Pirlo in this in this uh, late stage career or the later stage of his career. Um, that, that's interesting because right now he's still in, in great shape, and and some players like uh, Granit Xhaka have said that he almost runs more than us during training sessions because he's all he's always involved and always. Uh, still like participating in, in like uh, training games and stuff like that. <laughs> so it's kind of funny, right? Um, in, in that sense uh, that he hasn't really aged in the past 10 years, but of course uh, in his, especially during like the, the last third of his career, he, he always was like this like field general, elder statesman type of player. Um, also comes with his position, of course, like being the deep line midfielder. Um, he d- didn't do much running uh, at some point, uh, but a lot of passing and, and like long balls and stuff. Um, and yeah, of course, I mean, as a rep- he, and he hasn't really changed as a, like a person, I think, um, because he was always very mature, like comparatively matured uh, compared to his peers. I mean, um, like Xavi Alonso was, was no one would, where you would expect like, I don't know, some weird Instagram posts or I mean, Instagram wasn't maybe around during his heyday, but still, uh, or other things like yellow press coverage 
research about like I don't know some some weird stuff he did, uh, which you you know he played for Real Madrid during uh, <laughs> a couple of seasons where there was stuff going on down in Madrid, uh, just as an example. So um, yeah, and he's he's still like that, and and but he still uh, talks about like how his uh, leadership skills are still like developing, mm. and what what is interesting he once at a media roundtable in December talked about how um he tries to find a balance between like being like hard on the guys and and giving commands like you know uh, and and uh, expecting them to obey his commands yeah. and in on other occasions like being very laid back and not doing anything not not telling his players anything let them do their thing basically let them be who they are um it's interesting to see because i think uh you need to find the right balance and i think there's a lot of Carlo angelotti in in xabi alonso's way of managing a team because as we know rafa benitez was always hard on his players as steven gerard once said oh, i think jamie carragher was who said like you once wanted uh, him to say something nice about yeah, you but you never right. did <laughs> yeah that's right that's absolutely spot on yeah you were absolutely spot on there like, in general or something yeah, <laughs> yeah he was hard he was hard yeah. i he, think he, there's more color angelotti in, in xabi alonso and i think okay. there i mean let's let's remember of course he was he won the champions league with liverpool right and in, in that of course historic game uh alongside didi hama in the second half but I mean, throughout his, his Real Madrid years, like he was on the the peak of of his it's just being as a player, he, he reached his peak, and and I think that's why also he remembers a lot of things that happened during his Real Madrid time, and also of course being a Spaniard. I mean, I know he's he's Basque, but still being a Spaniard playing for Real Madrid, uh, still big deal and winning all these all these championships. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. you can't you can't imagine that he remembers a lot of things that happened during that time. Yeah, big shout out once again to Constantine. Spoke to him quite a few times. He's absolutely incredible. Top man, knows his stuff when it comes to German football and beyond as well. So yeah, brilliant to get have a chat with him about potentially, hopefully in my eyes, Liverpool's future manager. Yeah, South, that is your Redmen Weekly Boxed for this week. I hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you check out all our content across the channels over the weekend. Obviously, Liverpool take on Arsenal this weekend. Another big game. What could hopefully, hopefully be the perfect Perfect end to Jurgen Klopp's time at Liverpool Football Club. Sounds, take it easy. See you soon.